0: Welcome to episode number 80, a world between part two, medication and treatment, intermittent temporary mental illness. Now I'm your host, Damon Soka. Last episode, we were talking about the three columns of analysis for our mental illness symptoms, stress, and traumatic events, and the three categories in which those events in our lives happen under a no control, a limited control, and a full control. Now we had worked our way through the first category of no control treatments with the exception of the final, of the final option of medication. And that is where we are going to start today. The third option in addressing the no control category is, of course, some type of medication to help the brain tone down the danger signal. Generally, this should be done when other types of treatments have failed and other, or other options have been explored. However, this doesn't mean that you have to explore every other treatment and then resort to medication. Sometimes the medication can be the first and the most viable option. Just remember that it is not the only option, and it is one of many options for treatment. So as I stated before, while I am on the subject medication, I'm going to address it as a whole. Medication is the second major controversy of mental illness. the first being the existence of mental illness. There exists a host of medications, from the pharmaceutical to natural to unconventional for treatment of a temporary or mild to moderate mental illness. Now, I consider any type of substance taken specifically to address a symptom in a quantity not usually found in our diets, a medication. There are many who do not accept this idea of medication, wanting to separate it into pharmaceuticals and natural medicines, and, of course, other categories. I'm not here to debate how we separate and parse the world of medication or what is harmful or what is right or wrong. I just wanted you to know what I mean when I say medication. There are just a few important ideas surrounding medications that you're going to need to know. One, understand that anything you take in higher quantities that would not, that would not be naturally found in your diet may harm your body. You can overdose on vitamins if, you are, if they are taken in high enough quantities. You really can overdose on anything. Now, doesn't mean that it's going to kill you, but it may harm organs of the body or alter chemistry in bad ways. When you take things for mental illness, be aware of the side effects and what the substance can do to the body and mind. While our body chemistry is generally robust, simple changes in medication can have lasting effects upon the body and mind. Now, I don't have any problem with pharmaceuticals or medicines uh, that are generally known, and neither does the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints but I don't judge anyone who does. As far as medication, each must make that assessment based on a risk and reward and side effects. If the cure, meaning the side effects of the medication, is worse than the illness, you may be better off with just the illness. Now, two, understand that taking medication, natural or otherwise, can lead to addiction in the sense that you will need the medication to avoid the symptoms of the mental illness. Whether or not that's addiction or not, that's up to you. Medications may also have kind of a secondary addictive behavior in that you will have side effects from the medication when reducing quantity um, or stopping the medication. Now, this is something you will just need to assess before you take the medication. Generally, these side effects are not scary and they can be overcome without too much of a problem. For the most part, as mental illness is concerned, medications do not cure. Their purpose is to mask the symptoms by altering the chemistry of the body in some way. In the case of a more temporary mental illness, they can be useful for short periods of time or even longer periods of time to allow for other treatments to take effect. So when you consider taking a medication, understand that removing yourself from it will likely cause the mental illness symptoms to return. And the side effects will also come of reducing the medication for some time afterwards, although That time is usually short on the the idea of side side effects. Now, I have used medications all of my life to help with my symptoms. I've used both natural and pharmaceutical types of medications, and I've had good success with many of them. Now, I've had to change or remove medications that didn't work, that had side effects, and some addictive qualities. But I have not found that I couldn't change my medication or stop one because of those side effects. A couple of my children also take a medication for anxiety, and it works well to help them function. I am an advocate for medication where it makes sense, and have found that the loud voices declaring them to be evil just doesn't, don't appear to be true. Now, I've seen many people make effective use of medications and really move on with their life and manage their illness effectively. However, with medications, as always, do your research, listen to the doctor, and most of all, pray and work with the Lord and listen. I think you will find medications to be very beneficial if used correctly. Now... On to the second category, things where we have limited control. I like to think of these things as influenced events or stresses. While we cannot entirely change the outcome of the event, we do have some influence on the frequency and intensity of the event. The most common cause of mental illness in this area of control would be relationships and our interactions with others. Personally, I believe that many of the major Temporary or mildly induced mental illnesses come from deep stress caused by interpersonal relationships. We're talking divorce, separation, children, finances, widowed, estranged from a family member, free choice difficulties, meaning someone you love choosing a negative or destructive path, bullying, intimidating, manipulation, and so many other negative relationship issues that all cause or produce mental illness symptoms in varying degrees. Now I've spoken with and met with too many people who due to one relationship or another or due to the loss of a relationship deal with depression, anxiety, and combinations of those two. I've seen terrible relationships mentally destroy a person to the point that it takes many, many years for any type of real recovery. As you can imagine, there are literally thousands of books that deal with relationships and recover from loss, abuse, misuse, and other terrible outcomes of personal interpersonal connection. Today, I am not going to be able to solve your problem. But understand that if a relationship is a major part of the mental health concern, and you can identify that relationship as the problem, then you've actually already won half the battle. Addressing the issue is going to take time and effort, but it is possible once the identification has taken place. What we find in our lives is that relationships afford us such benefits that we will ignore egregious concerns that causes temporary or even long-term mental illness problems. Our mind is actually doing a short-term benefit analysis math. It subconsciously is determining for us that staying in a bad relationship is better than no relationship at all. Now, part of the problem is that our brain is only thinking short-term is not really considering the long-term mental health of the body and mind. The solution to these types of issues, and others that fall into the limited control category, is to do your part to resolve the external stimulus or relationship issue. Now that means identification, and then some decisions as to how to proceed. If it is a relationship, then one must decide a resolution, and sometimes that revolution, resolution might cause more pain, more pain initially, before things get better. For instance, in the case of an abusive relationship, leaving the relationship can cause initial pain and serious initial pain, perhaps more than the abuse does, at least in the short term, where you have attending feelings of guilt, a loss of love, confusion, and emotional distress. However, the long term can afford a much better mental health and even a more promising relationship. There is no easy answer to relationship issues, and in the case of a wayward child or an estranged friend, where control in the sense of influence is lost for a time or permanently, it can take time for the heart to grieve and healing to begin. There are many good therapy helps and techniques that can aid in the grieving process, and certainly medication if needed is absolutely available and useful. But I find that some honest conversations with the Lord in prayer is probably one of the best ways to start and work through this grieving process, at least for me, and perhaps a few others that I have actually known and experienced. There are some important things to understand about emotional and mental damage caused by relationships. Now, the first of these is that the damage that are caused by relationships can and often does run deep. If you compare it to a physical injury, it is not going to be a cut on the finger. It can be more like needing to replace an entire knee to the damage caused by long-term injury, such as in sports or arthritis. You might need several emotional surgeries and pass through several healing cycles. You are very likely to do a longer stint in rehab, learning to trust and love again, and working through isolating and separating past experiences with new ones. And while the knee replacement will give you back your mobility, it might not ever feel the same again. And that is okay not to feel exactly the same. You have passed through an experience, or even several, that emotionally speaking can be as damaging to your health and your life as a head on collision. Your emotional memory is going to be wary of similar experiences, locations, and people. Allow for the time necessary to heal and get the help you need from good friends and professionals, and of course, the Lord. And realize that not feeling the same way is not a problem and actually may be better for you in the long run. Now, finally, in this category, there are some instances where you cannot change the relationship and the negative outcomes. And you will need to find coping mechanisms that allow you to avoid the cycles of temporary mental illness. This could be work or school relationships, familial relationships, or really any relationship that is going to be there for some time and has really some stressful negative outcomes. And the issue doesn't have to be significant, just persistent. Most of the time, your body is going to automatically choose an avoidance technique. You simply avoid being around the person, except for instances when it is necessary. Now, I tend to lean towards this one because it becomes it comes naturally to me and most of the general population. We all have a similar nature when it comes to relationship conflict. There are some good techniques in these cases to a discussion with the other individual surrounding their behavior, but there is no guarantee that they will respond. And I know that several books have been written on this subject as well. Now here again, there is no easy answer. The gospel does afford us some insight and help on the subject, and I actually tend to lean on this approach. The first step is really to better understand the person causing the issue. What is it that causes them to act like they do? This is a walk a mile in their shoes type of thing. But it's really trying to understand the other person. The second step, and it may even be the first, is really a discussion with Father in Heaven about the person, your concerns, your difficulties with their behavior, and what you can do to help. Now, as I have done this and come with a willing mind to the Lord, He has worked miracles without me doing too much on my side of the thing, on my side. Yes, sometimes he requires me to engage the person, but he even seems to prepare them for the conversation. I believe that the Lord can do much to help us when we find ourselves in these types of situations, and I have experienced His influence so many times that I actually have great confidence in the Lord in going to Him about these problems. When we pray specifically to help others, even those who cause us problems, the Lord seems to be able to bring forth all types of energies to help us help them. Finally, we have come to this last category, those life events and moments in our lives over which we have full control. I'm going to preface this with the idea that our minds tend to make us think that we have control over far more than we really do. However, there are some things we really do have control of, our actions and things such as substances that we put into our mouths and things we allow into our minds and even some emotional content. What our focus should be in this category is to not get in the way of our own recovery and induce mental health problems, which we tend to do. Now, in previous podcasts, I've spoke about habits and how difficult they can be to change. Sometimes these habits, coping mechanisms that have developed into habits, and our reactions to ever-changing environments are simply not healthy from the mental perspective. We need to identify those things in our lives that inhibit our mental health and plan strategies to make the necessary changes. While many people may not think it to be true, The diet we take into our bodies and the exercise we accomplish cause a certain chemistry to occur in our bodies, and that chemistry is linked almost directly to our mental health. Unhealthy diets tend to lead to unhealthy mental outcomes. Now, I'm not saying that if you switched your Butterfinger or your Belgian chocolates for carrots, that your mental health is going to improve so drastically that you will immediately recognize the difference. Changing small diet habits will have small incremental changes in your mental health. But taken together can provide for a significant improvement, especially when other causes are being addressed. The same is true for what we take into our minds. If we are consistently anxious and can't sleep, we probably should not be watching true crime stories or being bombarded with negative news cycles. While that is a more extreme example in some ways, what we put into our minds will determine what our minds tend to think. Our brains are consistently learning and adapting to information brought in through the senses. While one true crime show is unlikely to cause any issues with a mental illness, a consistent behavior of watching these types of shows can, and often does, raise levels of anxiety and fear where none existed previously. Now, the advent of social media has become a serious source of influence for mental illness. Comparing our boring normal lives to the altered and many times fictional lives of others on social media, who appear happy all of the time, can create quite a dilemma for the mind. Social media, texting, and mobile phones in general have caused bad relationships to move into our lives 24 hours of the day. Because we are always connected, bullies can harass, domineering or demeaning behavior can be perpetuated, abuse consistently applied, and so many other problems occur. I am not here to say there is no benefit to social media as it can be just as positive as it is negative. However, part of what we need to do who suffer is to limit the media and connection to the more positive sources and avoid the negative ones. There is no need to listen to the ramblings of an abusive partner or friend or to watch shows that would cause us anxiety or depression. There is no need to compare ourselves to the fiction online especially when we are in control of those devices and the media. If you're trying to work through a mental illness issue, you really must, must watch what you put in your body and your mind. While it is very true you cannot filter out everything and not everything will be within your control, actually much of it is. And limiting or filtering what you allow in your body and mind is incredibly important to dealing with mental illness. Now, finally... I have covered a significant amount of information in these two podcasts, methods of solutions and skills you may need to overcome your mental health issues. And now for the more important part of all of this, don't give up. It is going to take time to recover from damage, pain and hurt, and it might feel terribly slow at times, slow, so slow that you might feel that you're losing ground. Keep working at it and asking for help from the Lord. Mental illness is not a leg that's going to heal in four to six weeks and be good to go. Mental health is an ongoing process that needs consistent effort and attention. The process is likely to be incremental. You may have moments where you feel that you have actually progressed and moments where you wonder if anything has helped you at all. You just need to keep at it. Like preparing for a marathon, you're going to have great running days and days where you just barely make it. But every day you run and try to increase your ability to overcome the issue. In the end, though, the most important thing you can do and should do always is involve the Lord Involve the Lord at every step of the process. Without Him, the process is going to be longer, less effective, and far more difficult. You are likely to see those miracles occur when you keep Him solidly in the loop. He can do far more than you can personally, although He does require your effort. In the end, the Lord really, truly cares about you and loves you more than anyone, and desires to help you. Reaching out to him will cause this process to be far more manageable and easier to achieve. In the end, as I have always said, do your part and the Lord will do his. Until next week, I'm going to leave you with the words of our prophet, let the Lord prevail in your life. We'll talk to you next week.